the book of Galatians. And this week, um, well, thank you for praying for us. We're in meetings this week, and uh, God had given me a, a message that I shared over at camp meeting this week. And even while I was preaching the message, I thought, man, Lord, I'm going to share this with our church, you know. And uh, I had a, a message that I thought I'd be preaching. And so anyway, uh, we'll save that maybe for Wednesday night. And so I do want to, I want to share with you what I shared with the folks uh, over on Thursday over at the camp meeting. And uh, we're going to talk tonight about this subject, the reason for zeal. So we had a, a couple, a few of our folks over there Thursday morning, and so this is going to be a little bit of a, a rerun for them, but I appreciate them being willing to, to uh, withstand it for another day here, but I believe it'll be a help to you. Galatians chapter 4 in your Bibles, and when you find your place, if you'll stand with us, out of respect for the reading of God's Word, Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse number 6, and we're going to read down through verse number 19. Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 6. The Bible says... And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Howbeit then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto you desire again to be in bondage. You observe days, months, and times, and years. And Paul says here to this church, he said, I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. You have not injured me at all. Ye know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first and my temptation, which was in my flesh, you despised not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness ye spake of? If I bear your record that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth. Now I want you to notice the next two verses especially. Paul said in verse 17, they... And I'm going to tell you who the they is in just a moment. They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that ye might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I'm present with you. And then he says, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. You may be seated tonight, and listen, I don't think we're going to be long. My introduction is probably the longest part of the message, and so I've got three points I want to try to give you tonight, but when we get to the points, we're almost done. So uh, anyway, just hang in there with me just for a little bit tonight. And I want to, um, this morning, I really wanted to, to uh, teach you something about the Holy Spirit tonight. I hope that the Lord will use the message just to challenge us here at Calvary Baptist Church, and so Let's talk about this thing of zeal tonight, zeal. So let's go to the Lord and ask God to help us, and we'll jump right into the message tonight. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for the privilege to be here tonight. Lord, what a great, great day you've given us. Souls have been saved. Lord, I, I think folks have received some help today. We're, we're so thankful for that. Thank you for giving us of your precious Holy Spirit, for letting us learn about him this morning. 
And Holy Spirit, thank you for helping us and giving us thy presence and teaching us the Bible and, and uh, speaking to our spirit. And we just thank you for all these things that you do for us. Now, Lord, as we try to just give your folks, Lord, some thoughts that you have laid upon our heart this last week, I pray that it'll be a blessing. I pray it'll make sense. And Lord, I pray that you'll challenge us in a great way tonight. And may we be different because of this night, October the 16th and 2022. Father, knit our hearts together as we learn from your precious book tonight. You're wonderful, you're amazing. And Father, we love you and we praise you and we surely ask you for your power and your liberty tonight. In Jesus' name we pray and for his sake and all God's people said, amen. The context behind Galatians chapter four is, of course, and most of you know this probably, but it, of course, it's the law, the law, the law of Moses. According to Paul's writings here in the book of Galatians and Galatians chapter four specifically, false teachers were zealously, and I think that's a key word, were zealously trying to affect those Christians in the Galatian church. And if you read this, and we did, we read some of those verses tonight, we notice here that they, Paul talks about they, he's talking about uh, these that are trying to pull those Christians back under the law, they were desperately seeking to get these new Christians, many of them who were new Christians, trying to get them away from Paul and away from his teaching. And with incredible zeal, they sought to bring these younger Christians back under the law. Notice what he says in, in, chapter, in uh, chapter four, verse 17. Paul says they, talking about these, that these false teachers, they zealously affect you, but not well. And then he says, yea, they would exclude you. In other words, they wanna get you away from me. They wanna get you away from doctrine. They wanna get you away from correct teaching. Yea, they would exclude you that ye might affect them. Now, I want you to notice here tonight that although Paul recognizes the zeal of these Judaizers, he does not necessarily criticize it. He does criticize what they're doing zealously, which is trying to pull Christians away from the truth and to get them into error. And so Paul does criticize what they're doing zealously, but he does not criticize the zeal. In fact, he goes on to say in verse number 18, look there with me if you will, Paul says, but it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing and not only when I'm present with you. Dale Carnegie said it like this, are you bored with life? Then throw yourself into some work you believe in with all your heart, live for it, die for it, and you'll find happiness that you thought could never be yours. When I think about zeal, I can't help but think about John chapter two and verse 17. That talks about our own savior, our own Lord. The Bible says there and his disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. That's talking about the Lord. The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Now, I don't know about anybody else tonight, but I'm, I'm, I'm a little concerned. I'm a little concerned about the lack of zeal in our churches today. The lack of zeal that uh, that's in our pulpits today. I mean, it just seems like that little by little by little, we're losing our excitement about the things of the Lord. We're losing our excitement about 
Christ and about salvation. And, how, and as we said just the other night, sometimes we come in and we sing some of these great songs of Zion and you know what, it don't do anything for us where little by little by little we seem to be losing that zeal. And sure enough, it seems that a lot of our pulpits today, a lot of our churches are just deader than four o'clock in the morning and we're losing our zeal. Several years ago, uh, I decided I was gonna, uh, I was gonna take a few classes uh, a few seminary classes, and, and so one of those, I was looking over the roster, and I thought, well, I saw homiletics on there, and homiletics is preaching class or public speaking class and just teaching you how to, uh, to speak and how to sort of get the attention of the crowd, and, and uh, well, I had taken that way back in the 80s, and, and believe it or not, I passed it, and I, and, uh, but I thought, you know what, it'd probably be a good idea for me to, to just do a little refresher, and, and so I'm going to sign up for homiletics, and I'm going I'm to take public speaking again, and uh, th- this will be good. I know this will be good, and so sure enough, I did. I, I paid the tuition, and I signed up for the class, and I began the class, and you know what, church, really, really sad that it is one of the, it, it was one of the, the most boring classes that I've ever taken in my life. I, I literally, literally endured the class unto the end. And uh, the fellow that was uh, teaching homiletics, the guy that was teaching us how we're supposed to arrest the crowd, <clears throat> I hate to say this, but just as dry as sawdust, I mean just as dry as he could be. Now that's what I'm talking about. It seems like little by little we're losing our zeal in our churches. I read recently a very sad article that was entitled this, Why I Lack Enthusiasm for the Church. It was written by what we call today a millennial. Now you say, Pastor, what's a, what, what, what's a millennial? Well, those that were born in the 80s up until the 2000s, I think they're considering to be millennials. Those that are probably in their 30s, late 20s and early 30s. And listen to what he says. It's 11 a.m. on a Sunday morning, three minutes late as usual. I slip into a middle back pew and finger my keys restlessly. Did I really need to dress up before noon on a weekend? I'm a college-educated young professional. I love Christ, but sometimes I feel badly because I'm not so excited about his church. I scan the congregants as usual, mostly senior citizens and a few younger families, a few sullen-looking teenagers. These people don't know me. I think regretfully, they'll never get me, and does God really need me here? 59 minutes later, we're all out the door. I'm thinking the same thing I I think most weeks. Really? Did I get much from that? He goes on to say, I find in the Gospels that the gates of hell are never to overcome the church of Christ. This excites me. Because I do not have this guarantee for any other entity in my life. I don't want to resent the church. I'm trying to get excited about it. I've been trying for years, but excitement is slow in coming. In Christian periodicals, I notice an influx of diagnostic books authored mostly by middle-aged stalwarts on my generation in church. Where are the young adults? Where have they gone? How can we bring them back? It's true. My generation, the millennials, aren't in church for the most part. Can I just pause and say time out and say thank God that's not true here at Calvary. He says here, why the lack of enthusiasm? If you were to ask me, I'd take a deep breath and reply something like this. I lack enthusiasm because something in me knows 
that if Christianity is true, it's the most radical and the most demanding thing in the whole world. But attending church is the easiest thing I do all week. Shouldn't it be the most intellectually challenging, the most emotionally honest, the most spiritually enriching activity of my week? I'm not saying I want this from church, but something tells me I need it. I like enthusiasm because I long to connect with the creator of heaven and earth, but those of the church don't pray with this kind of awe. And so secretly I wonder if they really mean it. I like enthusiasm because my parents were never enthusiastic about the church. I like enthusiasm because my hard and frank questions are not answered with equal hardness and frankness. And I like enthusiasm because, listen to this, I just thought this was interesting. He says, I lack enthusiasm because no one has ever asked me to be. Man, I just thought that was interesting. I lack enthusiasm because no one has ever asked me to be. No one expects me to be. And if I were, everyone would be surprised. Now, church, that's a sad, that, that's really a sad commentary but I'm gonna be honest with you, that's all over America. That's literally all over America. There's a reason that churches are dying. There's a reason that thousands of churches go out of business every single year. And I'm sure there, there are a number of different reasons, but at least part of it is we've lost our zeal. We've lost our excitement. We've lost our passion about the things of Christ. We, we have forgotten how good it is to be born again, how good it is to be saved, how powerful this book right here is, how wonderful it is to be a part of God's church. And so we have lost our zen. I want to tell you something. There's a lot of things about this chapter we could teach, but I just want to tell you, there is one thing this chapter teaches, and that's this, that it is good to be zealous. That's what Paul said in verse number 18. He said, it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. It is good to be zealous. Now, I love that. I love that. It's the Greek word zelu, and it means this. It means to exert oneself to be zealous. What does it mean, preacher? It means to exert oneself. But I just want to say, you know what, man, it is, it is high time in America that some preachers start exerting themselves in the pulpit again. Now, I know what they call us. They call us a bunch of holy rollers and, and, uh, and they'll say, man, don't go down the cavern. That guy's a nut down there. Well, brother, I might be a nut, but hallelujah, I'm screwed on to the right bolt tonight. Amen. And I want to tell you what, you just go ahead and get excited about your 49ers and your Panthers and your, and your golf ball and your baseball. And I'm not preaching against that stuff, but I'm just telling you, you'll have to excuse me while I get excited about my Jesus a little bit. Amen. I'm telling you, he is worth getting excited about. And we need to exert ourselves. Fellas, all you guys in here tonight that feel like God has laid a call on your life to preach, when you preach, and it doesn't matter if it's behind this pulpit or behind a post or at a rest home or wherever it may be, make sure that you exert yourself when you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Vance Hamner said it like this about preaching. Vance Hamner said, it's my job to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Dr. Jack Howell said, preaching is truth set on fire. Ralph Waldo Emerson said it like this. If a man could write a better book, preach a better sermon, or make a better mousetrap than his neighbor, though he builds his house in the woods, the world will make a beaten path to his door. I believe that. I believe that. 
What's, what, what's the difference, preacher? It's called excitement. It's called zeal. It's called exerting, exerting yourself. Now, you've heard some of these stories that I'm gonna tell tonight. G. Campbell Morgan was a famous evangelist, and G. Campbell Morgan told the story about how in a certain town, there was a very famous actor that was putting on a Broadway show, and also in that same town, there was a crusade that was going on. And every night, that actor would, uh, would play those, those fictitious roles, and the place was just packed and jammed. And yet on the other side of town, where this gospel crusade was going on, I mean, it was just hard for them to get a crowd. And so one day the preacher went to the actor and he said, sir, he said, I wanna ask you a question. He said, every single night, he said, you come here and he said, you depict fiction. And he said, you pack this place out. He said, every single night over here in the crusade, he said, I'm preaching the unchangeable truths of the word of God and I can't hardly get anybody to come. He said, can you explain that? And the actor said, sir, that's easy, that's easy. He said, the reason I pack out a house is he said, because when I act out my, my fiction, he said, I do it as it's true. Man, I get into it. I exert myself. I get excited about it. I get into my acting. And he said, when I perform my fiction, I do it as if it's true. He said, you preachers, he said, as you preach the truth, he said, you're so boring that you preach it as if your truth is fiction. A lot of truth in that. I'm talking about exerting, exerting yourself. I believe this, if we're gonna arrest the attention of a lost world, we've gotta, we, we've gotta start exerting ourselves. You know the story, I've, I've told the story about, uh, it was, it was uh, execution day over in the country of England and there was a fellow that was on the Green Mile there and, and it was his day to be executed. The warden came, several guards came and uh, they unlocked the jail cell They'd given him his last meal. They're walking him down the green mile to the room where they're gonna put him to death. And as they walk down, he's got shackles on his ankles and he's got shackles on his, his uh, wrist. And as they walk down this long corridor to the execution room, there's a priest or a rector or a reverend or something. And uh, he's got a Bible and he's walking down this corridor with this prisoner and he's reading about, he's reading about heaven and he's reading scriptures about hell, and, uh, and he's just no passion, no excitement, uh, just uh, in a monotone voice, no burden, nothing like that, no tears, and, uh, and just reading on heaven, reading on hell. They said that all of a sudden that prisoner, getting ready to lose his life, that prisoner stopped right there in that corridor, and he said, preacher, he said, I wanna tell you something. Before I go to the, the electric chair, I said, I wanna tell you something. He said, if I believed about that heaven that you're reading, if I believed it was really that great, and if I believed in that hell that you're reading about that's really so terrible, he said, not only would I not read it in a monotone, dead voice, but he said, I'd crawl across England on my hands and knees across broken glass, and I'd get up on the housetop, and I'd shout it from the house housetop and say, hey, you better come to Jesus. You better get saved. You better get saved. Now, church, listen to me. We can debate on a lot of things, but I'm telling you, it is time, it is time in America that we get some passion and we get some zeal about serving Jesus once again. Exerting, exerting. I'm talking about exerting yourselves when you preach. I'm talking about we ought to exert ourselves when we sing. When we sing. Listen, this ought to be, and it really should, this ought to be a singing church. And I told the folks this this week, and it's true. It is true. Everybody who comes and says, Pastor, I want to join 
with Calvary Baptist Church. We don't do this, by the way, but we probably should. Everybody ought to be required to have to lead the singing for at least a month. <laughs> and it would change your perspective greatly about the song service. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, and I was watching Brandon tonight and he was getting into it. Don't you like that? Amen? I like it. Man, we got done shaking hands, getting ready to walk up on the platform. I said, man, what you sweating about? And I like that. I like that. I'm telling you, man, you talk about discouraging. When the song leader walks up on a Sunday morning and says, hey, it's a great day to be alive. It's a great day to serve the Lord. We're glad you're here. We're gonna sing blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. We're gonna sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved wretch like me. Let's all stand. Let's all sing it. And all of a sudden, as Brother Brandon's leaning it, I mean, you would not believe what we see from up here out there. Now, Listen to me. You say, Pastor, but I'm not a singer. I get that. But aren't you glad the Bible says, make a joyful noise? Make a joyful noise. Man, just, you say, Pastor, I'm not a singer. I, you know, I, I, sometimes I sing off key. You know what, church? That's all right. It's okay. You, you know what I believe? I believe that singing and music, I, I, believe, it's a, I believe it's a sign of spirit fullness. I believe that when you're filled with the spirit, I believe you're gonna have a song. Don't mean you can sing but I believe you're gonna have a song. And when we walk in here on Sunday morning and Brother Brandon says, hey, let's all stand, let's all sing. You know what? We ought to jump up and say, well, you know what? They just sing way too much. I've heard that, they just sing way too much. Are you kidding me? Listen, what we ought to do is jump way up and say, hallelujah, I get to sing the songs of Zion today. Hey, I'm gonna exert myself. I'm gonna use some zeal. I'm gonna, I'm gonna exert some, some passion as I sing today. You say, preacher, you're crazy. You need to calm down. You're gonna have a heart attack. Well, what a way to go, amen. Church, I'm telling you, you know what? We are, uh, 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 unfortunately, a lot of churches are just dead, dead, dead. Hey, choir, you did great today. You did just wonderful. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I love you. I'm so proud of you. And, and I want to say this. You know what? Do it like that all the time. Man, every time you walk up out of those doors and you walk up this ramp or come up these steps over here, man, you ought to walk into the choir loft saying, oh, Holy Spirit, fill me. 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 And when Brother Brandon tells you what you're gonna sing, whole choir, I wanna tell you something, just rare back. I mean, just rare back. And just muster everything you can muster. You say, well, preacher, what's the person in, in front of me gonna think? Who cares what they think? Man, just exert yourself when you sing. Exert yourself when you play an instrument. Hey, I'm talking about, I'm talking about zeal. I'm talking about passion. Hey, we ought to exert ourselves uh, as we welcome folks to the church. Listen, I was so proud. I was so proud of Brother Nelson this morning. And uh, I don't know how many, how many of you saw that this morning. But right about the time the service was starting, that little lady came in in a walker. Did y'all see that? She came in. And uh, a lot of the seats had Bibles and stuff in them because the choir is up here. And, uh, and she didn't know where to sit. And she was, looking for, she was looking for a seat. And I love it. I saw Brother Nelson pop up. And he said, right here, right here. Here you go, right here. And, uh, and that little lady was able to, amen, yeah, amen, that's what I'm talking about. 
Hey, that's how it ought to be at Calvary Baptist Church. Listen, you know what? As people walk in these doors, we ought to exert ourselves in welcoming them. You say, well, pastor, they don't look like I look. Their hair don't, it's not the same length as mine. They've got tattoos. Well, uh, you say, preacher, they've got body piercings all over them. I don't ask you a question, church. How are they ever gonna learn? If we don't get them to Jesus, how are they ever gonna learn? And by the way, how are they ever gonna get to Jesus if they keep going to church after church after church and they keep booting them out because they don't look just right and don't smell just right and don't act just right? I'm telling you, hey, there ought to be a church somewhere that says, hey, we are gonna exert ourselves when it comes to welcoming the community in. Hey, man, I'm talking about zeal. That word zeal means to exert. We ought to exert ourselves when we minister. You say, Pastor, all I do is teach Sunday school. What? You know what, seriously, if that would ever be somebody's attitude, well, that's all I do. It's no big deal. Well, you probably need to resign and let somebody else teach Sunday school. Because it's a big deal. You say, preacher, preacher, I teach third grade boys. What's big about that? Let me tell you what's big about that. That third grade boy that you're teaching right now and pouring into right now might be the next pastor of Calvary Baptist Church. He may be the the fellow that leads this church on. You never know. Boy, you, you think about that. Man, that young man, that young lady might be the one that does something great for God. Hey, teachers, hear me out this morning. And, and we're gonna get through this thing in just a minute, so hang in there with me. Y'all exert yourself when it comes to Sunday school. What's that mean, preacher? That means make sure your chairs are arranged before your kids get there on Sunday morning. I expected a few crickets right there, amen. Shouldn't be the preacher going around picking up papers out of your floor on Sunday morning or Saturday. Uh, listen, I'm telling you, if you're teaching a Sunday school class and you say, well, preacher, I can't get here or uh, on Saturday, okay, then I tell you what I would do. I'd get here early on Sunday and I'd make sure your room is swept, amen? I'd make sure your chairs were all arranged. I'd make sure that you, make sure your lessons are ready to go. I'd make sure your class looks alive. Make sure it looks decorated. Why? Because this is big. This is big. Hey, hey, brother, I'm telling you what, this ain't Walmart I'm talking about. This ain't Kmart. This ain't Roses. Hey, I'm talking about this is God's work. Hey, and if God's business is the biggest business in the world, it ought to be treated like it is. Every Sunday morning, when our folks walk in to the church, they ought to say, well, they, they prepared. This wasn't an accident, man. They were expecting me. Wow. Look at those refreshments. That's not leftover from last week. That's fresh. Man, look at those chairs. I'm going to take church. You say, preacher, you are weird. I know. I know I am. Here's the thing about it, though, folks. I know that. That's the thing. And I'm just, I, I'm good with it. Is that okay? Is that okay to say that? Listen. If I walk in here on Sunday morning, if I walk in here on Sunday morning and these chairs are all whoppy jawed, it makes my whole day go bad. I'm, I'm serious about that. I don't get near the blessing if I walk in here and there's papers in the floor and things are dusty. And so you know what we do? Man, I come here on Saturday. And man, I'm walking down these aisles 
And sometimes I'm praying as I'm walking, Lord, help those folks in this aisle right here. Lord, speak to their heart. Man, I'll make sure that that aisle's straight right there. And by the way, they're usually not because y'all are so rough. And, and, uh, but anyway, you know what? I'm, I'm straightening chairs up and, and I'm making sure that all the papers are picked up. And, and, uh, and, boy, and, and by the way, I want to say thank you to, to all those folks who get here early on a Sunday morning. And man, if you got here about 8.30 on Sunday morning, let me tell you what you'd see. You'd see folks blowing things off and you'd see folks walking around the property shining windows. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, y'all just come sometime about 8.30 and just see what's going on. And folks, are, they're, they're wiping the windows and man, they're dusting and they're, they're making sure everything's right and, and making sure the coffee's prepared. And, and uh, you say, why? i tell you why. Because we're exerting ourselves. Hey, this is big league. This is a big deal. Uh, everything we do for God ought to be big. Hey, when you clean the church, you ought to exert yourself. You know why? Because you're not just vacuuming a rug, you're vacuuming God's rug. When you dust something here at the church, you're not just dusting something, you're dusting God's house. When you serve in youth ministry, give it your all. When you serve as an usher, give it your all. Give it your all. Now, please, please understand something. I go to church all the time. And by the way, not, not, this is not a criticism. I mean, that's not a criticism. And uh, we go to churches and they're going to take up an offering and preachers say, all right, give me a couple guys to take up an offering. All right, give me a couple guys to take up an offering. All right, Leroy, come on up here. I need you to help right here. And uh, uh, Sam, can you come up here and help? Now, I'm not, I don't, I'm not criticizing that. I mean it. We're, we're independent Baptists. And you, you know what? You do what God tells you to do. You say, preacher, why do we have ushers all wear the same kind of coat, all walk in, and they all line up just like they do? You know why we do that, folks? Because this is big. This is big. This isn't small. There's nothing small about being an usher. Well, all I do is usher. What? What? What do you mean all you do is usher? Well, all I do, preacher, all, all, all I do is I'm a, I'm a greeter. What? Are you kidding Church, I'm telling you, everything you do is big. Every instrument you play is big. Every time you shake a hand, it's big. Every time you help somebody in the nursery, it's big. Every time you keep the nursery, it's big. Every time you, you sweep a floor or vacuum a rug or straighten a chair or teach a Sunday school class or help out in the youth band, I'm telling you, church, hey, it is big league. It's big. Exert. We ought to exert ourselves. Now, let's get this thing done here tonight. You say, all right, preacher, okay. So we're to be zealous. What's there to be zealous about? I'm glad you asked. Because it's all right here in Galatians chapter four. What is there to be zealous about, preacher? Well, look, if you will, at Galatians chapter four, verse number six. First of all, man, I'm about to forget my, put my points on the screen. I'm so excited tonight. But that's big, amen, that's big. Number one, I want you to understand God has given you his spirit. Look at Galatians chapter four, verse number six. The Bible says, and because your sons, look at this church, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts. Hey, that's big. You say, preacher, what is there to be excited about? You and I ought to be excited because God has given us his spirit. And the gift of the Holy Ghost, let me tell you what it is. The gift of the Holy Ghost is the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts, the Bible says. 
2 Corinthians 1 verse 22, the Bible says, who hath also sealed us, listen to this, and given the earnest of the spirit in our hearts. Now, you say, okay, pastor, all right. Is that a big deal? Yes, it's a big deal. He is, when you got born again, he gave you the earnest of the spirit into your heart. Now, pastor, I don't understand what's so big about that. Listen, did you know in the business world, there is something called earnest money. Earnest money. What is earnest money, preacher? Well, here's this little couple, and they're looking for a house. And they've been shopping, Zillow. They've been shopping all these real estate websites. And they, they finally, oh, they finally, nope, 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 nope. They don't fit us, nope, nope. And all of a sudden, they find it. Oh, they find the one they want. It's, it's just perfect. It's got the right amount of bedrooms, got the right amount of bathrooms. I mean, it's just, it, it's just perfect. And so they call the realtor up and they say, hey, we found it. That's the one we want right there. That's the one we want. And the realtor says, great, great. Come on down to the office and we'll start working on some papers. And so that little couple goes down to the realtor's office and they sign some papers. You know what else they do? They put some earnest money down. Yes. You know what that earnest money says? That's ours. That's ours right there. We want that so much, we're willing to put some earnest down on it. And we are putting this earnest down because we want you to know we are coming back to claim what is ours. Did you know that when you got born again, the Bible says, yep, you're feeling it now, aren't you? God sealed you with the Holy Ghost of God. It's called the earnest of the Spirit. You know what God, hey, you know what God was saying? God was saying, hey, I want you so bad. I want you so much. I saved you so good. I've sealed you. And he said, I got some news. I'm coming back one day to get what is mine. Hey, hallelujah, church. He's coming back for us. Now that's worth getting excited about. And so you say, preacher, zealous, zeal, exerting yourself. What's there to be excited about? Number one, he has given you his spirit. But number two, look at this church. Number two, God has offered you a solution. Look at Galatians 4, verse number four. The Bible says, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, Made under the law, oh, hey, 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 look at verse number five. To, to what? To redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. You just see, church, you and I had a problem and it was a sin problem and it was a bad problem. Because of our sin, we were on our way to eternal damnation in a place called hell. But thank God, you know what? God loved you so much that God gave you a solution in his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. First Peter 2, 24 says it like this, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live in the righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Hey, thank God. When Steve Pope had a problem, hallelujah, I had a problem solving God and he sent me his only son to come and pay the penalty for my sin. Back during World War I, during World War I, it was customary that when a family would give their son for the war, 
And oftentimes that son would end up paying the ultimate price. The United States would offer that little family a star. And they would take that star and they would post that star on the window, the, the front of their house, in a window in the front of their house. And they said that there was a fella and his little boy and they were walking down a street there in New York City and said that night the little boy began to look in the windows and he, be, he noticed the stars. And he said, Dad, Dad, look, there's a home with a star. They gave their son. Then you go down, no star, no star, no star there, no star, no star. Dad, Dad, there's a star. They, th those people gave a son for the war. Then every once in a while they'd come up on a window and he'd say, Daddy, look, there's two stars, two stars. They gave a son. Well, they did that for a little while and they got to the end of the avenue and all of a sudden the building sort of moved out of the way and it was a beautiful, beautiful night. And the evening star was just shining just as bright, just as bright as could be. And they said, that little boy stopped. And he took a deep breath. And he said, Dad, Dad, look, God gave a son. There's his star. God gave a son. <laughs> Calvary. You say, preacher, what in the world's wrong with you? I'll tell you what's wrong with me. God gave a son. And that's worth something getting excited about. Man, oh man. Zealous. Exerting yourselves. What, what, what's all, all about, preacher? Well, number one, God gave you a spirit. Number two, God offered you a solution and we're done. We're done. Number three, Hey, church, look at this. God has made you a son. It's right here, Galatians 4. Look at verse 7. Wherefore, thou art no more a what? Servant, but a what? But a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Did you know at salvation that you and I were placed very carefully into the family of God? You've heard of going from a prince to a pauper? Well, God took you and me from being a pauper to a prince. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 18 says it like this, and I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now we're done, but I want you to turn one more place. We're done. Romans chapter eight in your Bibles. Romans chapter eight, old story, old story. And so there was a little boy, walked into an uptown, an uptown bank, busy, busy bank. It was about that time when everybody was doing their work, their, their, their banking you know, duties, and the teller lines were all full of people, and, and some of them were waiting very impatiently and had been waiting for a little while. Little boy walks into the bank, walks right past the teller lines. There's several security guards around this big bank. And, the, and, and so people are noticing this little guy. He walks right past the teller lines. He walks right up to the guards, never says a word, just walks right through. And then walks down a short hallway where the door says president of the bank. 
and he doesn't even knock. He just grabs the doorknob and walks in. And one of those people on that teller line said, man, what's that about? Ain't motion security guard. I said, man, what's that about? Had that little boy, went by all these lines, walked right through those security guards, walked right into the office of the president of the bank. How'd he do that? And the security guard said, that's easy. Said his daddy is the president of this bank. You know the difference? He was a son. He was a son. Now hang on to your hat. Look at Romans 8. Look at Romans 8. In your Bibles, and look what our Bible says. <laughs> Somebody better call a timeout. Tell you what. Romans chapter 8, verse number 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Verse 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. You know what that's telling us, church? That you and I have received and experienced an adoption into the very family of Almighty God. What's going on at Calvary? What's those people's deal down there? Why does that choir sing like that? Why does that guy get up and lead the music all over the place? Why does that preacher act like a maniac? Why did I come in that place that's clean and it's arranged? Why after the service are there people vacuuming and dusting and running dust mops? What's that all about? It's big. And it's big because we've been adopted into the family of God. Little mama calls her husband at work. And she says, honey, I hate to bother you, but we've got a problem. And he said, well, honey, what, what, what's going on? She said, well, and she said, our, our little boy come home from school today and said, man, he is upset. He's upset so bad. And she said, somehow some of the kids at school, they found out that he was adopted. And all day long, they've been ragging him that you're a little adopted kid, a little adopted kid. You don't really have a mom and dad. Those people you live with, that's really not your daddy and that's really not your mom. And boy, he just came home just, just as low as low could be, crying. And his mama called dad and said, listen, honey, if you can get off early, I need you to come home. So sure enough, the dad gathered his belongings up and he said, I'm gonna have to take off a little early and he drove home. And sure enough, he got home. There's that little boy, and he's just all to pieces. I mean, just crying, crying, crying. And mom and dad get right there close to him. And he says, Daddy, Mama, he says, is it true? Well, they never had told him. They wanted to wait till he got a little older so he could understand it. So they'd never told him. And he said, Mom, Daddy, is it true? Is it true? Am I adopted? And his daddy said, Honey, it is true. And man, he just, I mean, the waterworks turned on. And he said, y'all are really not my mommy and daddy. He said, hold on just a minute. Hold on just a minute. He said, that day, we came down to that adoption agency. He said, there's something you need to know. He said, me and your mama, well, I'm telling you, man, somebody better open the door. 
He said, there's something you need to know. He said, your mom and daddy, we'd been praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. God would give us a, a child. And they said, honey, that day we came down to that adoption agency. You understand that there's little boys and girls all over the community that wanted a mom and daddy. But they said, when we came down there that day, we chose you specifically. And we brought you into our family. And you became our son, and we became your mom and dad. And little boy, he got a glow on his face. He said, Daddy, that makes us sort of special, don't it? He said, You better know it. That's special. That next day, he went back to school. And those kids, like they do sometimes, those kids met him. And they said, There comes a little adopted boy. Here he comes. There comes a little adopted kid, and boy, he got some holy boldness. And he decided to exert himself that day. And he said, let me tell you something. He said, when my mom and daddy came down to that adoption agency, he said, they chose me specifically. He said, when your mom and dad got, when your mom and dad got you, they had to settle for what they got. <laughs> Calvary. Listen, you've been adopted. You say, I don't deserve it. I know. That's what I'm talking about. We don't deserve it. There was nothing inside of us that deserved it. We don't deserve the grace of God. We don't deserve the mercy of God. We don't deserve a street of gold and gates of pearl. I'm telling you, we don't deserve what we're experiencing here tonight. And yet there is a holy, holy Almighty God that looked down through the quarters of time and said, I want you. I want you. And he saved your soul. Whew. Anybody think there's anything to get excited about? Oh, yeah. Next time you sing, remember you've been adopted. Next time you vacuum, Remember, you've been adopted. Next time you stand in front of that Sunday school class and teach, remember, you've been adopted, adopted. Father, we love you. Wow. Wow. What a God. Lord, I wish I could explain it to this crowd somehow, but I can't. Doesn't make any sense. Outside the grace of God. We've been adopted. He is worthy of us exerting ourselves. He is worthy of us being zealous. God, he's worthy. Lord, would you do this tonight? Would you give us a new kind of singer? God, would you do this? Would you give us a new choir tonight? Father, how about this? Would you give us a Sunday school teacher that's gonna walk into their class next Sunday with a new fervor? Give us a rest home preacher that's gonna preach like they've never preached before. God, give us servants in this church that from now on, every time they walk in here, they're gonna say, man, this is big. This is big. Because I'm a son. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. 
Why don't we just, why don't we stand tonight all over the house? Our heads are bowed. Can I ask a question real quick? First of all, how many here tonight would say, Brother Pope, preacher, preacher, if I died tonight, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know that I'm saved and I'm going to heaven when I die. If that's your testimony tonight, very quickly and quietly, would you slip your hand up tonight? You'd say, preacher, that's me. Hallelujah. I'm a son adopted. Amen. You can lower your hands. Is there anybody here tonight that hasn't been adopted? Is there anyone here tonight would say, Brother Pope, if I died tonight, I am not sure about heaven, but I sure want to be. Preacher, I sure want to be. Is there one like that anywhere tonight? You'd let me pray for you. Right now, you'd slip your hand up. You'd say, Preacher, I am not sure that I'm saved. Would you pray for me? You'd slip your hand up. Is there one anywhere? Can I pray for you? All right. As far as I can tell, I didn't see any hands. So that means that everybody here tonight claims to be born again. Hey, Christian, how's your zeal? Where's your zeal level? Where's your zeal level at tonight? You say, Pastor, it's sort of moderate, okay. Maybe tonight you just slip out to an old-fashioned altar and say, Lord, I want you to charge me up. Lord, I want to I do more. I want to make more of a difference. God, I want to be more excited about the things of the Lord. If that's you tonight, if that's you right now, I'm going to ask you to step out, and I'm going to ask you to make your way to this altar tonight. And you tell the Lord that, Lord, I want you to renew my zeal tonight. Lord, give me a passion and an excitement like I haven't had in a long, long time. That's right. Who else? Who else tonight? God, give me a newfound zeal. Lord, help me to exert myself in everything I do, regardless of what it is, if it's for the Lord. God, I want to zeal. I want to be zealous about the things of the Lord. That's right. That's right. Folks are coming. How about you? Would you come while we wait? Father, thank you for your blessings. Thank you for speaking to us tonight. Thank you for reminding us of what there is to be zealous about. Thank you, Lord, that we're adopted into the family. Father, we're not a servant. We're a son. We're a daughter in the family of God. Oh, God, I pray, please, that you'd put a hedge of protection around this church and around this work. And Father, I pray that we would be as zealous and excited as we've ever been in our lives. Father, tonight, have your way. Bless these that are in the altars tonight. And God, help us to be passionate about serving Christ.